our topic today is medicinal marijuana, and we will be discussing the health benefits, any caution one should exhibit, and advice from a doctor who is an expert on medicinal marijuana. Still a controversial topic, but such a needed conversation. And we are having it. Medicinal marijuana, health benefits, caution and advice, here today on An Organic Conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. The entire conversation about sustainable agriculture, food, and plant-based medicines is huge, convoluted, and full, may I say, of intentional errors. There are trillion-dollar interests at stake between the agricultural and the pharmaceutical industry, and yet medicinal marijuana is also not the cure-all, not-to-worry-about easy fix. It's a powerful and important plant and medicine that for millions of people offers incredible benefits. So how can we best navigate the topic? Well, by having an organic conversation about it. Medicinal marijuana, health benefits, caution and advice. All that and more coming up in just a minute here on An Organic Conversation. I'm your host, Helge Helberg, and this show is made possible by Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. That's equalexchange.coop. And by Utterly, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Each garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. That's U-T-T-E-R-L-Y dot C-O. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Our topic in this hour is the much-needed conversation about medicinal marijuana. We're discussing the health benefits, caution, and advice with an expert who has been studying and using medicinal marijuana in her practice for years. And on the phone with me now is Dr. Reshna Patel, a medicinal marijuana doctor from Walnut Creek, California. Her website is Dr. D-R-R-A-C-H-N-A Patel, drrashnapatel.com. Um, Dr. Patel, do we have you on the line? I am here. Thank you so much for making time for this important conversation about medicinal marijuana. I just said in my intro that it's a convoluted conversation. There are, there are fans of medicinal marijuana. It is not the cure-all, end-all solution. If it's handled responsibly, it has amazing health benefits 
And yet it is also a conversation within the context of a trillion-dollar industry of non-organic agriculture and, of course, the pharmaceutical industry. So thank you for taking our hand, so to say, and walking us through this complicated conversation and maybe making it a little bit easier to understand of what we're looking at and, and what is it totally appropriate for and what perhaps not. I do want to start, though. You are a doctor. You studied osteopathy. How did you come into this topic? What is your training, really? And when did medicinal marijuana cross your path to see, wow, this this is actually important to look at and even then to integrate? Sure. So it all started with an ad that I saw on Craigslist. <laughs> so the ad pretty much said, I was just browsing around on Craigslist, and um, I encountered an ad that said, medical marijuana doctor needed so now it piqued my interest because at the time I was training in the area of emergency medicine. And like many other doctors, I went into medicine because I truly wanted to impact change in people's lives. But here's what ended up happening. On the one hand, I was handing out prescription medications, a lot of prescription pain medications. And on the other hand, you know, there were patients coming in experiencing side effects from these medications. There were patients coming in addicted to these medications. And then I was in the unfortunate position of having to resuscitate patients that had overdosed on these medications. And so when I saw this ad, I started looking into the field because before then I had never even known that it had existed. You know, I started digging into the research and about a year later, what I found most compelling was that medical marijuana had a lot of potential to treat chronic pain. So at that point, I figured, okay, you know, uh, yeah, you know, the books can say one thing, but what you see in the real world could be something completely different. So what I needed was not only the knowledge, but the clinical experience as well. Of course. So I signed up to work at a medical marijuana clinic, and that was back in 2012. So here we are over half a decade later, and I would say at this point there's no turning back. Why would you say that? What conditions were you treating in the beginning? What are you treating now, and what are you seeing when you say there's no turning back? It, it sounds like it's, it is a powerful plant medicine. What are you finding? So the most common conditions that I treat are chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Now, chronic pain is really interesting because as it stands, um, what's available in conventional medicine just just doesn't cut it, okay? It's generally not enough or it's not effective or it causes side effects, etc. And so what I found was that patients with chronic pain, they were able to either come off of their prescription medications, they were able to significantly reduce the doses of their prescription medications, or even reduce the number of prescription medications that they were on. You know, many of these patients are on what we call polypharmacy, okay? They are on, you know, 10-plus medications, right? So they're, they're not only taking a pill, they're taking a cocktail of pills. And that, in and of itself, can cause all sorts of problems. You know, for instance, with elderly patients, they forget which medications they've taken and which ones they haven't taken. So a lot of times what I saw in the emergency room is polypharmacy overdose, right? So they took too much of their medications not knowingly. And, and in addition to that, there are, of course, uh, interactions between multiple drugs 
not even to add food to that and, and chemicals that we ingest in other forms. But of course, do drugs work with one another? And usually a doctor would ask that. But if you have two, three specialists and you forget to mention one thing between blood thinners and what, you know, the entire spectrum of what people use, I know that from my own father, they have been things that we as a family pointed out to and the doctor said, oh, yes, thanks for pointing that out. We didn't know that and uh, oversight, but, you know, potentially life-threatening uh, contraindications. Yeah, no, that, that happens, and, I, and I've seen it in, happen in the emergency room, right? Because, because people aren't, they're, they're seeing so, like you said, there's seeing so many doctors that it's, not, you know, it's not the doctor that's keeping track of all the medications, it's the patient. But a lot of times, you know, I'll ask patients, tell me what medications you're on. Um, and a lot of times they'll forget, you know, so I always ask them to sure. bring a list of medications that they're on. But no, that, that happens. That happens a lot. More than affecting the use of the prescription medications. You know, it does mm -hmm. help to, the marijuana does help to produce pain, uh, helps to reduce anxiety, helps to improve quality of sleep. And affecting these conditions and symptoms, what that eventually does is that it starts to impact the patient's quality of life. So they can go back to doing the activities that they enjoy, you know, whether it's playing golf or gardening. They can pick up their grandchildren. I've had a lot of um, uh, elderly patients come in and tell me that, you know, I, my arthritic pain is so bad I can't pick up my grandchild. You know, when it comes to people with anxiety, it affects their performance at work because the anxiety is paralyzing. Um, same with, with uh, sleep. You know, when you're walking around um, uh, half asleep all day, uh, it, it can impact your relationships because you're more irritable. And so that's the reason why I stuck to it is because the significant impact that I've seen, that's why there's no, no turning back. Yes, you're listening to an organic conversation, and the conversation is about medicinal marijuana today. Health benefits, caution, and advice from an expert in the field, a doctor who has been using it on their patients with great success for years now. That's Dr. Reshna Patel, her website, drreshnapatel.com. Um, the medical marijuana expert out of Walnut Creek, California. You did study osteopathy, and we, are, we want, do want to talk about which conditions are you particularly treating. You were saying pain, of course, sleep, that's the effect. I do want to frame it, though, first. Is medicinal marijuana the same as recreational marijuana? And if <clears throat> not, what, how is it being separated? What is the, how does that work? Yeah, so medically, really, there's no difference, right? Medically, when you go to a dispensary, the difference is, is that amount. That's really what varies, is that with medical, you, you can find products with higher amounts of the cannabinoids, which are the chemicals in marijuana. Now, I want to emphasize here, more doesn't mean better, okay, when it comes to marijuana. I truly believe in optimal dosing, okay? So so you don't want to overdo it. Obviously, you don't want to underdo it. You want to sort of, you know, hit that sweet spot, which is known as the, the therapeutic dosing range. So that's medical difference. And then there's a legal difference, right? In states that have legalized for both medical and recreational use to access the what's designated as a medical product, you do need a, a physician's recommendation, to access a recreational product, as long as you're over the age of 21, you can just walk right into dispensary. 
So those are the fundamental differences. But it is the same plant, right? Or are there plants grown or raised more for their medicinal strains or benefits and than others? Like what's, how, how does that, in the biology yeah. of the plant, how does that work? So the, the chemicals are the same, right? But the plant, because of its genetics and the environment in which it was grown, it will make different combinations of chemicals. Now, the, the recreational users are going to sort of uh, uh, tend towards high amounts of THC. THC is a psychoactive compound, and that psychoactivity kicks in only if you're using it in excess amounts, okay? Which uh, the, so effect, the effect would be you would get high, obviously. Yeah, you'd get high. You, right. you, there'd be a euphoric effect. You'd laugh at situations that, you know, otherwise wouldn't be as funny. Um, uh, you, you, it would stimulate your appetite. You'd get what's called the munchies, etc. Medical users, now medically, there are patients that benefit from, from high THC products. There are patients that benefit from high CBD products. And then there are patients that benefit from both uh, CBD and THC. So it's really going to come down to the medical condition or the symptoms that the person is treating in terms of um, uh, selecting the right combination of cannabinoids if you're using it medically. And HTC, of course, gets you high. Um, CBD does not. It's a it's a compound yeah. in marijuana that you can take. It might still have relaxing effects or might make you let sleep better or worry less, but you don't feel that effect at all, right? Yeah, so CBD is not psychoactive. Yes, and you as a doctor, you have studied... How does it work? Do you, I mean, crops change in agriculture at least from year to year. But are you have you studied the uh, exact strains and where they come from? And like you basically have an apothecary as as a pharmaceutical doctor would have, and you say this kind of strain or this product here is really good for anxiety, and this one here is more a stimulant for weight gain or weight loss. Or do you really apply it that specifically? Yeah, so there's sort of a misconception I want to clear here. Yes. Let's talk about strains. So, you know, when you go to dispensary, you know, in either Colorado or California, you'll find strains that are named, oh, I don't know, Purple Trainwreck, Sour Diesel, OG Kush, kind of ridiculous and funny names at the same time. These strain names are arbitrary. There is no sort of rhyme or reason as to why a strain is, is named a certain strain. What I do as a physician is I don't go by the names, names of strains. I go by the laboratory testing, and that laboratory testing then will give you exact amounts of CBD and THC that are in the product. And it's a more objective measure of the, the chemicals in the, in the product, which will then, you know, that way the patient knows exactly what's going in their body, and they can predict what effect the product will have uh, on them. That's so fascinating. Do you do that with every batch, or do you know this kind of mm -hmm. grower produces? Like, how often do you test for exactly what's in there? So I'm not testing in sure. states where marijuana is legal for, for recreational use. Right. Laboratory testing is mandated by the state. So you will see a sticker on every package that will say most usually the name of the lab at which the product was tested, and then the exact amount. Um, either in milligrams or percentages of CBD and THC that's in the product. Now, the unfortunate thing is, is that this is mainly in the states that have legalized for recreational use. All of the other states, including the states that have legalized for medical use, this is not always the case. 
it, it's really interesting because states tend to sort of get things, you know, into gear once things have been legalized for recreational use. And it may have a lot to do with, you know, legal liability that's on them because sure. anybody over the age of 21 can just walk in. But, but that's the advantage of practicing in a state like California. So it's just going to depend on where you are and how accessible the marijuana is and how regulated it is. Fascinating. And do you differentiate between um, certain qualities of CBD uh, compounds and certain qualities of THC compounds? Or is, is it really just the amounts of each? Are there various you know, qualities or uh, compositions of the two? So regardless of where the CBD comes from, the molecular structure is the same. Uh -huh. And that's what your body sees it as, is, is this molecular structure. And this particular molecular structure it interacts with a receptor in a certain way, right? So that that's all the same. Mm -hmm. I don't really, you know, are you sort of referring to hemp versus marijuana-based CBD products? I'm referring to not all carotenoids in a carrot are the same, or not, you know, it, it's not just the vitamins, it's the combination of vitamins with bioflavonoids in a lemon peel that will allow you to absorb gotcha. vitamin C fully. So it's always more complex than we think in the plant world, uh, even with yeah. organic food. And so I wonder, is there another layer of complexity when you look at CBD and THC? Yeah, so based on the research that I've gone through, and I've gone through tons and tons of studies, the main chemicals that interact with our receptors, as far as we know, are CBD and THC. Mm -hmm. So I go based on, you know, uh, proportions or ratios sure. of CBD and THC, depending on the medical condition that the patient has. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking those two chemicals into context because there's quite a bit of interaction between the two. There is, you know, what's called a synergistic effect mainly that, you know, one chemical enhances the effect of another chemical. Yes. Um, uh, so that, and that, this is based on the research. Now, there's, there's about 60 to 100 cannabinoids in the plant, which we don't know a lot about. Ah, see, right? yes, that's what I thought. But the other important <laughs> thing to know is that the chemicals that the plant makes in the highest concentration, as far as we know, are THC and CBD. Uh -huh. So that's why I'm taking into account those two molecular compounds. Sure. Yes. Um, and not the others. Yes, and future research, I'm sure, will help us understand more. We didn't know there were bioflavonoids in the lemon peel absorbing, helping us absorb vitamin C you know, 30 years ago. Now we know there are 600. So it's, it's interesting how, as we are looking into this now as a medicine, more and more in many states our knowledge about it will will increase. We had a great show on cumin. You're Indian, and in your diet, that's very common in the Indian diet and the health benefits of, of um, curcumin and uh, curcumin and mm -hmm. uh, to, to uh, curcuminoids and how many precursors there are. And so I believe our knowledge about marijuana will even increase further in the future, of course. We want to talk with you about um, further health benefits, cautions, any cautions that you would uh, advise um, people when, when they are taking it and any you know, tips or best advice from you anyway. Right after the break, we'll take a quick break to honor our underwriters. Thanks for staying on the line. Uh, that is Dr. Reshna Patel, the medical marijuana expert, drreshnapatel.com, the website in this week's show off here on Again, a Conversation, Medicinal Marijuana, Health Benefits, Caution and Advice. I'm Helge Helberg. And please stay tuned for so much more in just a minute. We'll be right back.
This show is brought to you by Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. And thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and the organic conversation is about marijuana, medicinal marijuana. This week, health benefits, caution, and advice. We're speaking with Dr. Reshna Patel, the medical marijuana expert out of Walnut Creek, California. Dr. Patel, before the break, we were saying all the conditions that can be treated from chronic pain, sleeplessness, anxiety. What other conditions have you applied marijuana for? cancer, specifically treating symptoms when it comes to patients that are undergoing chemotherapy, so like nausea, vomiting, lack of appetite. Beyond that, I've treated patients with migraines, with fibromyalgia, with arthritis. So those are the more common conditions that I treat. When you step back for a, a second and you look at marijuana, medicinal marijuana, from a holistic place, what does the plant want to do for us if you if you had to put it in words that way. Is it protecting us? Is it bringing back balance? What's the main, what's the main um, intention? So here's the thing. It's, it's a serotonergic compound. It's a dopaminergic compound. And now let me tell you an interesting story here and how important these cannabinoids are. Please. So one of the, one of the things that maybe you know, people who've used marijuana in high school or college have noticed is that it, it stimulates appetite. It causes a munchie. So there are scientists that figured, hey, wait a minute, if it stimulates appetite, if we turn on the receptors, what if we turn off the receptors and that way it can be an appetite suppressant and, you know, and a weight loss substance. So they created that substance, uh, that medication, and they named it Ramonabant. Went out on the market, and what happened was that it worked, but then people started to have suicidal thoughts. So that goes to show you that if you if you turn the marijuana receptors off in the body, the devastating impact that it can have on on a person's psyche. So it is it is a very important component of the human body, but it's a component that's been that hasn't been studied as well. 
So it's, I would say it's essential to survival, contributes to your emotional well-being. And that, that uh, sort of what I told you about the medication Ramona band attests to that. Mm-hmm. Because if you, you know, you turn off all, all the receptors, it's sort of like, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of putting the person into, into severe depression. You know, we, we talk about comfrey as the great mender, the, the plant medicine that really heals you wherever you apply it to. Um, so it sounds like marijuana allows you to stay open while not experiencing the worst negative effects of your openness, meaning pain, sleeplessness, anxiety, worry, you know, cancer, nausea. It kind of takes the the worst part out of the experience of still being alive. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, it improves a, a patient's quality of life. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Wonderful. Um, how important is it for you that is grown organically? Um, does it matter what what chemicals are used in the growing of of the plant itself? Oh gosh, it's incredibly important because you know what's interesting is that once Colorado legalized for recreational use, CNN did an undercover investigation on on these marijuana products that were being sold, and what they found was that they were using this uh, pesticide that I think it's it's banned by the EPA. It's called Eagle Eagle something. Um, basically, in, in, in large amounts, it's a neurotoxic agent, okay? Mm-hmm. So it causes damage to the brain. Um, and so because there's no sort of federal regulation... How ironic, on in the, a way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's yes. no federal regulation on the, on the ag- agricultural component of marijuana. This was something that the states had not looked into um, because it's not their territory, right? So this is all new territory for them. And so, so that's what they found that that a lot of these products were um, uh, were had toxic levels of pesticides and fungicides, and that's important because here's the thing: it, economically speaking, growers get paid by the pound, so they will you know they will do everything to meet that bottom line, and and stimulate the plant to to grow as as much flower as possible. Um, and, you know, that involves the use of pesticides and fungicides. Now, the plant is also very prone in humid environments to grow fungus. Um, and it's commonly known to, to grow aspergillus. Aspergillus in immunocompromised patients can cause lung infection. It can cause pneumonia. So that's another thing that they're using fungicides for. So, and there are natural ways to sort of deter the plant from growing fungus, from being infected by pesticides. But regulation is a big part of this. My life's desire is to buy a plot of land and grow my own food. So that's how much I am in favor of organic, mm-hmm. even when it comes to marijuana. Yeah, and especially if the if the chemicals, agrochemicals that are legally used or can be used to grow it have a brain effect. That's the whole point, right? It's a brain stimulant. Uh, or it affects the brain, marijuana in itself, uh, you wouldn't want any cross-contamination with a product that that m- makes the brain less weak or has an interaction with that or even harms the brain. So it's kind of, that's what I meant with, that's really ironic that these chemicals are actually uh, toxins to the brain. Yeah. That's the, it's the worst, it's the last thing we want. Um, so organic marijuana, when possible, of course, always. What are some of the side effects that you have seen? How is it possible to avoid those? What what should people be uh, careful with? Um, and I'm sure you will tell your patients how to use it exactly. But what would you give listeners as an advice if they 
if they do this without a doctor or even with a doctor to look out for? So one of the main components of side effect is dosing, right? So there's a lot of different factors that play into it. So, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of focus on, on dosing. So like I mentioned before, every medication has a dosing range. So you have a sub-therapeutic dosing range where you're taking too little mm-hmm. and it's not doing anything for you. Then there's a toxic dosing range where you're taking way too much and you're getting side effects from it. And then, like I said, there's that sweet spot, that therapeutic dosing range that's giving you medical benefits, but it's not giving you side effects, okay? Um, and usually I walk my patients through a methodology to, to figure out their dose. So that's the important thing to realize is that just because Susie Q takes, you know, X dose for her, let's say, anxiety doesn't mean that, you know, you need the same dose for your anxiety or for your chronic pain. Um, it's a very individual dose. Yeah, and so, even I would say even Susie Q might from week to week or maybe even, you know, every other day, it would be nice to know that range so you you can live up to that. You never take too little, but you kind of check in. Maybe it's a better day and maybe you had better food or you slept better because of the, the perfect dosage before yeah. and you need a little bit less. So isn't it also yep. still a spectrum always? Yep, I completely agreed. Yeah, like when it comes to pain severity, it varies from day to day. You know, for some patients, pain is incredibly severe some mm-hmm. days. And some days it doesn't bother them at all. Yeah. And so overall, marijuana really is an outdated medication. Beautiful. What would be some, how would you know it's too much? What would be some side effects that people could watch out for that is a symptom that, yeah, you, your dosage is not quite right? I mean, obviously, if you're still in, in pain, you don't take uh, enough. That's f- easier, seemingly, to, to determine. But what, how would you know you're taking too much? Um, sure. So side effects would include things like increased heart rate, dizziness, paranoia, anxiety, numbness, tingling, uh, what else, um, uh, hallucinations, visual or auditory, confusion. Um, so again, it's a spectrum, right? So it depends on how much you overdo it in terms of the severity of some, uh, side effects that you'll experience. So if you take it for anxiety, um, just as a layperson's question, and you you feel better, and then you feel some more anxiety. It could mean it's it's weaning off. It's like the the effect is is dropping, or it could mean you you still need to take more, or you took too much. How would you know? It, it, so a couple different things, right? So it could mean that you're not using the right combinations of chemicals. It could mean that you're you're taking too much. You know, it, it all sort of comes down to that. How would you navigate that, though, if you don't know if you did you take it enough or did you take too much? If it's, if you took it for anxiety and too much would be anxiety causing, how would you know which anxiety you were looking at? Oh, okay. So, so in general, when it comes to anxiety, it's typically too much THC that causes anxiety. And so there, you know, like I said, there's a methodology and a dosing range that I walk my patients through, uh-huh. um, and and combination of cannabinoids to you know to to figure out what's going to work for their specific symptom. In this case, the anxiety. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Um, when you work with patients, how do you prescribe it? What What is your favorite way? Um, do you have do, do your patients have to smoke it, or what are other ways of taking it? I know there's CBD oil. Yeah, so um, uh, definitely don't recommend smoking it, right? Because smoking long-term can potentially do damage to the lungs. 
Um, other ways, so the methodology is really going to depend on the condition because some some methods of administration work better for certain conditions. So let me give you a very obvious example. Mm-hmm. You can't use topicals for anxiety, right? Topicals are ointments that you apply to the affected area. It's not going to help anxiety. Uh, but beyond just topicals, there's also edibles. Um, there are uh, tinctures, which is basically an under-the-tongue formulation of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Then there's also rectal and vaginal formulations, um, and then an alternative to smoking, there's uh, vaporization as well. Wow. And you work all of the, with, all, with all of those based on the conditions of your patients? Yep, yeah. Are there any circumstances in which you would not recommend the use of medicinal marijuana, or does it always apply to, to some degree for some form? So there are people with certain conditions that need to be highly cautious with using medical marijuana. So those are people with heart conditions because, like I just mentioned, excess marijuana can increase your heart rate. And if you have an underlying heart condition, mm-hmm. or say you just recently had a heart attack, yes, it can it can put too much of a demand on your heart, or you know, throw your throw your heart into a weird rhythm. Um, so that's one one population. Then you have people with lung conditions, right? So any form of inhalation is gonna, could potentially um, uh, worsen the, the damage that's already there, you know, from like asthma, COPD, etc. And then mm-hmm. you have patients who've had psychotic episodes, right? So these are mainly patients who've, who've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, with bipolar disorder. Not all of them experience psychotic episodes, um, but many of them do. Um, and again, remember I mentioned that too much marijuana can cause visual and auditory hallucinations? Well, that can make the person more prone then to a psychotic episode, okay, uh, depending on, on you know, their, their, their biochemistry. Sure. You have women that are planning to become pregnant, that are pregnant, or are, that are breastfeeding. We don't know what the effect of the marijuana is on a growing fetus, on a growing baby long term. So I tend to err on the side of caution and don't recommend the use of medical marijuana. And then finally, there are children. So certainly medical marijuana is being used in, in children with like epilepsy. I've even treated patients with ADD, ADHD. I've even treated children uh, with autism because they experience a lot of anxiety. But you have to be very careful um, with dosing. And I say that because in Colorado, what they found is that... Um, Uh, there have been cases of children overdosing on marijuana, whether it's accidental or intentional, um, uh, come into the emergency room in a comatose state. Okay. So those are the main population groups, uh, you know, with underlying conditions um, or, or previous history in which I'm highly cautious. Fascinating. Medicinal marijuana, health benefits, caution, and advice. Advice from Dr. Reshna Patel, the medicinal marijuana expert, Walnut Creek, California. She's joining us today here in this hour of an organic conversation on medicinal marijuana. I'm Helge Helberg. Dr. Patel, you are of Indian descent, and it's I don't know why, where I pull this from, but it seems sweet and curious that you as an Indian doctor trained in the U.S. are now really one of the leading experts as a marijuana, medicinal marijuana um, doctor, Uh, in this field, do you know in which cultures medicinal marijuana uh, is a staple where where it has been used? Um, I would not think that 
in India that is a common thing, but maybe it is. I actually don't know. Where where does the U.S. stand in this compared to the rest of the world? Are there countries that have been using medicinal marijuana for years? Yeah. So interestingly, there's a book called Pensau uh, that was uh, uh, one of the emperors in China uh, sort of um, spearheaded the, the publication of this book. And essentially, it documented the medical value of a lot of herbal medications, including marijuana. So then this book was published in like 2700 BC. Okay. So um, that, that goes to show you how far back marijuana was being used medically. And in this book, it said that uh, in, in Chinese culture, marijuana was being used for things like menstrual cramps, for arthritis, for opioid withdrawal, um, for a lot of different things. Um, I know in, in Indian culture, um, there's a man named William O'Shaughnessy, and he was a, an Irish physician that was there um, probably during the, the early to, to mid-1800s. I think it was about like around 1850s. Mm-hmm. He was the one who introduced marijuana to the Western world because he found that the Indians were, were medically using marijuana for a bunch of different things. And so he started to study it. Um, and thereby introducing it to, to the rest of the Western world. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the United States, between 1850 and 1937, medical marijuana was in the pharmacopoeia listed as a medication, that, and it was actually available over-the-counter at a lot of different pharmacies. So I don't really feel like I'm doing anything new. I'm just sort of picking up where where we left off back in 1937, you know? Um, uh, So so even the United States at one point was very accepting of medical marijuana. Um, But there was a lot of political and economic motivation to to deem it illegal. Um, You know, it being deemed illegal, it does not come from a medical standpoint. I can tell you that for a fact. Yes. And that gets us to the last question. We're almost out of time, but such a good conversation. Indeed, it was. Thank you. Um, How would you recommend people, you know, you can get marijuana off the street, you can get a marijuana card. What is really your your highest advice and recommendation for people who have chronic illnesses? Um, Of course, they they could contact you, but uh, what is kind of the the golden rule here in this in, in dealing with that? So, okay, so first of all, don't buy it off the street because you don't know what you're getting. And a lot of times it can be laced with other things. You know, there have been cases where marijuana is laced with ketamine and, and PCP and all sorts of stuff. Yes. Um, and it can have, like, you know, fungus and bacteria and all sorts of stuff like that. It, it, you want, if you have a means to obtain it from a dispensary, then obtain it through that means, okay? Whether it's through a medical dispensary or a recreational dispensary. Um, uh, you, and if you don't, whatever product you purchase, you want to make sure at the very least it's laboratory tested and you know the exact amounts of CBD and THC that are in the product. Mm. Now, having said that, there, I, I, I find that there's a lot of patients that still come to me having experimented with marijuana on their own. You know, whether it's CBD oil com- that comes from hemp or, or, or marijuana itself. And they come to me because they've gone through the trial and error process. And, they, you know, they haven't really gotten a result. Every time they're sort of starting from square one. The reason is, is that there's a very exact and specific way to use medical marijuana. Um, and that's typically what a physician like myself can, can help them with. 
Um, so it's really hard for me to, I mean, you can try it on your own, but really, you know, as a physician, my goal is, is that yes. people get, get exact results. Of course. You know, specific results, and they get consistent <clears throat> results. So, yes. so that, that's sort of the best information that I can give. And I'm glad you're recommending that. Are there other doctors like you throughout the U.S. that you know of that do such, you know, cutting-edge work? You know, yeah, very few. Yes. Um, but <laughs> we found so, too. But has a reputation, yes. you know? Um, so what's interesting is that in, in California, um, you know, the industry, medical marijuana industry has been around since 1996, but... Uh, you sort of have um, doctors that are in it, uh, maybe not for the right reason. Of course, you know a lot of doctors I found are in it because they they something gone array with their license and they can't practice in, in conventional medicine. So this is a backup for them. Then there are physicians that are practicing in this area because they're retired and they want to make an income on the side. So so very there are medical marijuana doctors, but very few that have. You know, a lot of them are just handing out medical marijuana cards. I would say very few few of us that are really sort of turning it into a protocol to, to you know, mm-hmm. so, real to, practice. so to speak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. yeah, a real practice so that they're actually, you know, uh, getting results for patients. So, yeah, that's sort of I mean, the unfortunate state of the industry. Well, it takes front runners like you who take this on very seriously and really look at it as a medicine and want to use it and apply it as a medicine and know the opportunity, but also know the responsibility that it takes. Um, this is nothing to uh, make fun of, as as is as nothing about health uh, to take lightly or to not take seriously. This is our health, whether it's plant-based or pharmaceutical industry, um, we need to make sure we pay attention and uh, be you know serious and concerned about uh, any and all aspects whether it's plant-based or from a laboratory uh, and synthetic so um, thank you for what you do it's really wonderful to hopefully um, shed a little bit of light on this whole topic of medicinal marijuana with this hour of an organic conversation i appreciate your work and i'm sure we'll have you back in the future thank you so much Yeah, thank you. Thanks, pleasure. That is Dr. Reshna Patel, the expert, really, the the most outspoken um, person, a doctor on medicinal marijuana, health benefits, caution, and advice in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and we're moving from medicinal marijuana to, we're staying actually with the topic of sustainable agriculture, Medicinal marijuana should always be organic, as our guest said, and the next topic is certified organic as well. It's about the food on our plate, the consumer segment, the update of what's going on in the retail shelf, how to save money by picking the perfect produce, how to pick it, how to store it, and what to do with it. Here is what's in season. And with me here in the studio, as many of you have already heard, (laughs) is Earl Herrick, the founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce, earlsorganic.com, the website. It's the weekly tip of how to navigate the produce aisle. Thanks for coming in the studio, Earl. Mm, Always good to be here. Yes. And it's an extra treat because you usually bring Mm -hmm. stuff with you. And 
we're in the beginning of March. Um, what's the hot item of the week that we want to educate people about? Well, uh, it's avocados. Hmm. Uh, we've just gone through the big change, meaning we've a seasonal uh, change from the Mexican market. Uh, Chilean for some folks out here in, in California. We just really do the Mexican and the California. And the California season starts right around February, right after Super Bowl. And, and so the, there's a bit of a lap over. Yeah, but the Mexican pretty much is done. And the avocados, the first month, you know, the maybe the very end of January into February, they're okay. But by March, you got some great oil. Uh, that's been developed. The domestic crop. Yeah, yeah the California. domestic crop out mm -hmm. of California. They're, uh, they're going to take a little longer to ripen because it's the beginning of the season. So if you've been having Mexican avocados up to this point, you probably need another day or two. Um, yeah, it's an interesting crop because it has gained dramatic popularity oh. in the last three, four years. Like yeah. just radical change from... And we, we get used to those things, right? Avocados, well, it's now in everyone's mind, but it's in literally every salad bar you could find. Ten years ago, not at all so. It was you know, five, six years ago, all of a sudden, Super Bowl guacamole was really, that was avocado. Now yep. it's recognized as the superfood. Interesting crop for me because the popularity has not uh, gone hand in hand with the education around it. This yes. is still the only show where I've ever heard that there are two seasons and the avocados behave very very fickly and differently depending on what is ending and what's coming in mm -hmm. and it is a three four or five dollar item if they're peaking in price yes you don't want to lose a four dollar avocado just because you didn't store it right yeah and that is for me you want to keep it in a mild temperature if you have the ability to keep it between 50 and 60 degrees. I sometimes wrap them in a towel and put them in a drawer in the refrigerator. Uh, I, I Generally, I put leave half of them out to ripen because I'll, I'll eat an avocado in a sitting. So what the worst thing you want to do is let it get overripe because the oil, especially as they ripen, they get rancid. Uh, and that you you miss that edge of flavor that you really want. So look, when you cut them, they should have a nice green, uh, the green should be getting uh, mustardy uh, uh, yellow. If it's to the point where it's dark and it's gold, that might be a little overripe. Um, it should, of course, uh, come away from the seed. Just cut it long ways in half. And, um, and, and we do have these, you know, as you said, right now, February, March, that's the end of the Mexican season and the beginning of the domestic season. No, and, yes, yes. And then in August, September-ish, depending, of course, on the year and plus minus three weeks. But roughly at the end of summer, the California crop is done mm -hmm. and the early Mexican crop starts. Correct. And it's a very different fruit in both cases, right? The yes. end of the season, as you were saying, high oil content doesn't last. You want to put it in the fridge um, if it's a if it's in in August a Mexi a California avocado or if it's in February a Mexican avocado at the end of its season uh, almost ripe already the way it comes from the tree or the way it's harvested and it doesn't last two weeks the oil will get rancid correct right? yeah you you not you you nailed it right there and to be specific we're talking about the Haas avocado there are you know at least a half a dozen very popular avocados but the Haas is by far and away the most popular many people think it's the tastiest it's it's the richest That's the classic yeah the classic oblong somewhat yeah roundish with the, yeah with an alligator skin if you will yeah uh, but they have to 
ripen. If you find one ripe on the on the account, in the store, be very careful. That could be overripe. Um, yeah, so a little yeah. bit of give, but if you're at the end of the season of that crop, like domestic at the end of August and Mexican at the end of February, March, yeah. if it feels firm, you already can eat it. That's right. And, and if you don't eat it, put it in the fridge because it yeah. might go bad. Yes. The difference is, though, when the first California crop comes in, as you said, February, March, you don't want to put it in the fridge. That would be the worst because it yeah. doesn't have the oil, right? Yeah, not only that, it... Um, it, it can sometimes uh, foster some skin uh, fungus, but it, d that doesn't hurt it, but it doesn't make it look very attractive. Sure. But also, uh, definitely you can, you, refrigeration is what you want to do to store them. But if you can, eat them at the room temperature. That's when the most flavor is going to be out there. When they're, when they're around 50 degrees or even chillier, that uh, you lose some of those fine points that you're going to get. And I thought if it's the first of the season of that of that crop in, yep. in California domestic February March in Mexican same thing August September, um, you don't want to refrigerate Correct. it, right? Yeah, yeah, keep as it best on the you, counter. Yeah, leave leave on the counter. So that means buy two or three. I mean, again, depending on how you enjoy them. Out here, it's not unusual for people to eat an avocado a day. So just kind of gauge what you might eat in two or three or four days. And because generally you're not going to find a ripe avocado or even a turning one, which means approaching ripeness at a store. But uh, so uh, buy ahead so you can ripen your own. I had one that just wouldn't ripen. It was on the counter for two weeks and it just never turned soft. It, what? Why? Because it didn't have the oil to begin with? Yeah. Harvested that, too early? Yeah, most likely. Uh, again, if you could um, remember the time of year, we could probably identify that real specifically, but undoubtedly it was picked too early. But again, Mother Nature, they're coming off of trees. Not everyone's going to be perfect. Um, but that is a little unusual. That is not as unusual early in the season. Exactly. It was a, a Mexican avocado in August, early last year. It just it turned that, rock hard. It was just yeah. rock hard. And I brought it back to the store, and they gave me another one. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Huh? Always <laughs> bring it back to the yeah. to the store. Have that relationship with your produce person that they can uh, they'll honor that, and because you're there every day or however frequently, and you're buying. What other varieties would you be seeing? The uh, Fuerte is the is is a little longer in neck, very th uh, thin, very smooth skin. There's another one called a Bacon, which isn't as uh, is a little more round. Uh, so Fuerte is probably the next closest in, in rich oil flavor. Bacon is is less uh, flavorful, and that a little more water. But yeah, a little more water. A lot of people like that. Uh, in salads cubed up, that doesn't make as nice a guacamole because it doesn't have that much flavor. But in a salad, it's a nice little addition. Uh, a little salt always brings out a little more flavor. Uh, Fuerte bacon, Haas. There's a couple of other ones that I'm, you know, we we don't sell much. There's one called a Pinkerton, which is very close to a Haas. It looks like a Haas, except it's bigger and longer, but you don't see very many of them. Maybe at a farmer's market. Yeah. yeah, farmer's market for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of guys have a couple of them probably for uh, fertilization. And same principle, um, two seasons throughout the year for all of them? Well, honestly, we don't find those avocados Commercially from, any, at from all. anybody else. No. Uh, Haas is the only one that gets to our market. Mm. Though, of course, when you if you do some traveling over in the tropics or even Hawaii you're gonna, in Mexico, you're going to see all kinds of avocados. And just to finish off, of course, guacamole, um, 
at this point logical but wow so many easy ways to eat them you say in one sitting you oh. can literally just take the seed out put a little bit cayenne and salt in it maybe even some olive oil on top of it uh that's it right absolutely Ready. there's a of meal course in itself yeah there's of course a big thing of avocado toast right now oh you, yeah uh, you can put them in smoothies <laughs> i'm not a favorable of smoothies but that happens all the time because it, it's got that wonderful oil uh it's very good food for you um, it's there is there's soy milk and half an avocado just blended up. There you Delicious. go. Delicious. <laughs> really unbelievable. It's yeah. a two ingredient smoothie and it will yeah. blow your mind. I, I put avocados on everything. I just look, look for an excuse. I put them in a <laughs> soup, of course, in salads, uh, in, uh, in, in grains. soups. You grind it, grind them up. No, I don't grind it. I just cube it. Oh, wow. Put it in soup just to have it float around. I love it on grain, whether it's uh, quinoa, rice. You could blend it, though. You could have a potato leek soup with avocado in it and oh, all blend it up. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, there's a, people make a, like nice. cold, a cold avocado yeah, soup. Like a gazpacho type-ish. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Wonderful. So, and that season is here now. Yeah, it's right now. So you're going to enjoy the California. Uh, but it's, a, it's a, not a bumper crop. But it's real close to it. It's a very large crop. And so we'll see the product, I bet, through September at least. And keep it on the counter for now, at least until August. And then the California crop will fade. Put that in the fridge. But for right now, yep. just let it ripen on the counter and you're yeah. good to go. Yes. Amazing. Thank you, Earl, for coming in. Wonderful. My pleasure. Avocados. Take care. <laughs> and that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you also to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then.